You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning. Welcome everyone in Perth. This is Trent Fleskins, your host of The Perth Property Show, where every week we get Perth's big property experts in to share their knowledge and their insider secrets. If you've got any questions, you can pop over to the website at perthpropertyshow.com.au or check out the Facebook page. Today, we are talking about the offer and acceptance form. It sounds like a really simple process. Probably as a buyer, you'd hope we've all seen one before, but there are so many intricate factors involved to make sure that we we get it right the first time. We're not pressured into doing something we don't really want to do or don't really understand more importantly. Uh, And we're making sure that we're operating on our own terms and getting the detail correct to make sure we're protected both as a buyer and as a seller on both sides of this offer and acceptance of buying and selling property. To help us out with that conversation, we have one of our mainstay experts, someone who has seen more offer and acceptance forms per year in Perth than I know of anyone. It's Adam Namofsky from the agency. Thanks for coming in again, mate. Thanks for having us again, Trent. Hey, let's start from the top of this form. We'll get straight into it. Yes. We're going to start with the name. The name, right, the name and the address. Tell yeah. me something about this that people can get wrong. Our full name. I mean, you know, nobody likes to use their middle name or sometimes they don't use their middle name. Uh, that's one that gets missed all the time. So we need to make sure that it is the exact full name as what is on their birth certificate. Needs to go on the offer and acceptance of both parties if there's two parties purchasing. Obviously, one if it's a single person. What happens if it's not? What's the mess up halfway through there? Well, then once they go and apply for finance is usually when it'll get flagged or once the settlement agents take over the the deal is when it'll get flagged. We then need to go back and do variations to the contract. You know, there is sometimes even ramifications when it comes to stamp duty. If one buyer has been completely missed on the contract, all names and all parties are, are clearly identified on the contract is the number one thing that needs to happen to save you going back and wasting time later on to do variations to contracts and whatnot. Now, we won't get too alarmist about it. There are ways to fix it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to kill anyone, but it does just stuff people around, really. We need to make sure at some point this is going to get right. May as well do it right the first time. Correct. So we're putting our full name of, of everyone that's the buyer. That could be the, the name of the corporate trustee as well, if it's a, a, you know, a corporate trustee mm-hmm. with a trust as well, and the address, right? So we've got that box sorted out. The next box normally we see is the deposit. Quite hidden really in the detail there. What are we normally put, seeing when people are putting a deposit down and, and time frames? We can vary that depending on the seller and the buyer, but usually it's seven days within uh, within seven days of acceptance of the offer is when the deposit needs to be paid into the trust account. How um, much would you see most people putting down as a deposit, as well, a reasonable deposit? Once again, it really varies depending on price, depending on the situation, depending if it's subject to finance or if it's a cash deal as well. Usually, I'd say for a $500,000 purchase, we'd see about a five dollars to $10,000 deposit would be the norm. However, it can be as low as... $500. It just depends on the buyer's situation. What's the highest deposit you've ever seen? Uh, highest deposit I've ever seen is probably half of the purchase price, so 50%. Wow. But that was on a cash deal, which was going through as a 12-day settlement. Here's, here's half of the deposit up front. Do people put that high deposit down to entice the seller to maybe give them a sweeter deal? Yes, most definitely. I mean, if you you know if your purchase price is five hundred thousand, for example, and you're making a two hundred fifty thousand dollar deposit, well, it's a rock solid deal. It's going to go through. Yes, it's going to look a lot better when presenting it to your seller. Even in the event of a subject to finance offer, or if it's competition between two offers, for example, the bigger the deposit the better it looks to the seller because it looks like it's going to be a lot easier for that buyer to obtain finance. Less risk if they've already got the cash there. That makes sense. But if we're in a situation where we're really not in that much competition, 
mm-hmm. I would have thought that we really should be asking questions as a buyer if that selling agent is trying to get us to put in more than that $10,000 around the meeting house price. I just don't think that we really, we really need it. I'd agree with you. I mean, at the end of the day, finance doesn't go through for whatever reason that deposit is fully refundable to the buyer anyway. Then they're tying up ten, fifteen thousand dollars of their cash sitting in the trust account when it could be in their own making, own you know, saving a bit of money on an offset Correct. or what. Now, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, as you said, the deposit is fully refundable. The whole purpose of the deposit really is to make sure that after finance has been approved, if these guys still decide to do a runner. Mm-hmm then that deposit goes to the seller in lieu of the time they've wasted trying to sell their house, having yeah. to go back on the market again. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very rare circumstance that that would happen mm. in this day and age, but you know, it is good to have some security there for the for the buyer, for the the sellers, sorry, in, in the event that something like that does happen. At least they haven't wasted, you know, well, they would have wasted a couple of months, but at least they've got some, some compensation. Exactly, later on. the time value there. Yeah. And I think one thing we need to remember, because it's very easy to get caught up in that first week, Put your deposit in. Make sure that if we've signed up that deal as a buyer, we make sure we get that deposit in within seven days because if they don't, the seller's very much in within their rights to look elsewhere, aren't they? Yes, correct. 100%. It needs to go in. We do send, obviously, notifications and we send reminders as soon as offers accepted, then a couple of days later on reminding the buyers that the, the deposit needs to be paid because in the event that there's another buyer waiting and you haven't paid your deposit in time, you know, there is every... Every possibility that you might end up missing out on the property, even though you've had an offer accepted. A bit stiff, but it's real, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yep. Now, that money isn't just going into Adam Nomovsky's bank account, is it? No, it's not. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's going into uh, the company's trust account. And that's audited. Audited. It's very protected. Uh, 100%. Yeah. You lose your license if you if, stuff around, don't yeah, you? Yeah, if even there's a, a dollar missing. So, no, definitely yeah. not. It goes into the trust account, sits in the trust account, then goes towards the purchase price of the property upon settlement. That's fantastic. And that gives, I think, all buyers, especially first-home buyers who are wondering, where's my money going? Yeah, of course. That confidence. Yeah, and of course, they obviously get sent a receipt as soon as the the, uh, the money hits the, the trust account as well. Very good. Okay, so the next point we're seeing is the purchase price. Obviously, that's very straight up. We want to see a dollar sign. We want to see numbers. Yeah, definitely straight up, but you know, it needs to be whatever the offer is. Every time there's a counter offer, whether it's done verbally, you know, whether it's done over the phone between buyer and seller or whether it's done in person between the agent and the buyer and then the agent and the seller, it needs to be written down every time a, a counter offer is made and initialed by both parties. Scratched well. out very, and initialed. Very, very important. Yeah, so you yeah. might see after a while 10 numbers along yeah. that page could go into a second line. Correct. How long, how far have you seen a negotiation oh, go? We've seen them go. I mean, back, especially back in the day before, you know, your email and, well, not that the email wasn't around, but it was very uncommon to be emailing a contract back and forth when everything was done face to face. Remember, sometimes we'd be on the road, we'd start at 4.30 in the afternoon and, you know, you're getting home at 10 o'clock and you've gone back and forth to the buyers and sellers wow. seven or eight times <laughs> each and cross, just to cross out a number and initial it and... You've literally yeah, booked out an evening yeah. to do non-face-to-face just, negotiations. Just to run back and forth. Now, obviously, I hope we, they live close to each other. Yeah, they actually didn't. But <laughs> now, obviously, with technology, DocuSign, things like that, it can be done a lot easier uh, once the negotiation stage uh, takes place. So Yeah. Does it help to write final offer on our purchase price? Is that a thing we can do? It, it is. It does happen. It is, I suppose it's fairly common when the buyer's reached the absolute threshold, they'll, they'll write final offer. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but ta- I've, also, I've also seen people leader. write final offer and then, then it, it end up coming up higher <laughs> than the final offer. So. It's a bluff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you never know, do you, until uh, push comes to shove. Once we get past that final price, we really start looking at the finance clause. Mm-hmm. So you, on the left-hand box, you've got 
finance is applicable. Yep. Right-hand box is this is a cash offer. Correct. So I think most of the time we see that you strike out the right-hand box because most of us aren't buying with cash. And the left-hand box, we're writing what? So subject to finance, you go... You first. The first box is who your lender is or if you're going through a broker. So it is good to have that specified. Some people do do TBA. Now, if you go TBA, what happens in the event of a finance fallover? Where does the letter of um, decline need to come from? So we do need to have somebody specified there. If they don't know which lender they're going through at the time of making an offer, you can put to be advised, but they need to advise us within seven days of who the lender is going to be that they're going to obtain finance from. That's probably the most common one because we have had it where a buyer's written to be advised and then come back to us three weeks later saying they can't get finance approved. So where we where do you go in the first place? Correct. You can't go and get your mortgage broker to decline your finance. No, you can't. It needs to come from a financial institution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Next point is finance amount. Can be a dollar figure or can be a percentage, an approximate percentage as well. Mm. It just gives the, I suppose, the sellers a um, bit more clarification when we're presenting the offer. How much are these guys borrowing? Is finance going to be likely to be achieved, or is there a possibility? it's going to be knocked back. And that obviously depends on the, the deposit amount that the buyer has. What is stopping me, Adam, from trying to look a bit stronger than yep. I am and putting down 50% as my finance amount? Unfortunately, not much. Okay. Yeah, it's more, it's, it's, you know, if we're sitting down with you as a buyer and you're telling me you're borrowing 50%, well, I sort of have to, you know, take that and, and write that on the offer. But uh, if, if I've always planned to go 80%, yes. I assume I might be getting caught out there where maybe I can get finance 50, 50%, but I can't get it for 80 well, what I mean, if I'm a seller and I'm seeing that you're borrowing fifty percent, just means my counter offers would be probably a bit more aggressive, to be honest, because you've got a fifty percent deposit. Yeah, so, you, you clearly got some money. Yeah, back. if you're eighty percent, you're sort of just out of that lender's mortgage insurance bracket, so you're probably working towards the top of your budget. Where in the event of a fifty-fifty, um, you'd be definitely pushing for a little bit more money on the offer. So it works in works both both ways. both ways, I suppose. All right, we're initially in the bottom of the page. Yes, but before that, we've got a very important box. Mm-hmm. That's the conditions box. Yes. Anything can happen in this box. It's a, it's a, <laughs> a, lot it's a jungle out there, this box. Is, yeah, yeah. What are we normally seeing going in these boxes? Three normal conditions would be a building inspection report done by a registered builder. And that needs to state that the property is structurally sound. Now, this is it's a bit of a funny one because what's structurally sound? You know, the, the building inspector reports will come back with, you know, maybe 10 items on there, but it will still then say that the property is structurally sound. So. Mm. You, being a buyer, you want to proceed with caution with this one. Do you want the property just to be structurally sound or do you want it to make sure that there's no issues with the structure at all? Mm. You know, these two completely different things. People get caught out all the time with this, Adam. Obviously, we've got a settlement agent business on our, on our side mm-hmm. and something that we see a lot is uh, where they've signed the uh, standard or even a non-standard, very uh, skint building inspection clause that says somewhere from building inspection to be done within seven days with no recourse at all, yep. or even the standard rewa, which is what I would say that everyone should be using mm-hmm. on that side, building inspection annexure, yes. uh, which has all of the recourse and all, all, all what's going on there, all the different clauses that can be scratched out and whatnot. They get it done. It comes up saying the full report says, look, structurally, this place is sound, but you've got 10 cosmetic issues. And then the buyer goes, well, this is going to cost me 40 grand to fix these things. The the wall's fallen over, this, this, and this, but none of those are structural to the home. I want out. And then the settlement agent has to come back and say, well, I'm really sorry. Your condition says that it needs to be a structural issue. None of these are structural. Even the side wall of the house Mm -hmm. is not structural, unfortunately. And you're stuck. 
Yeah, it happens. Or all hell the breaks time. loose. Yeah, it happens all the time. We see it. It is really important as a buyer if you want those cosmetic issues sorted. You can probably see them when you're inspecting the home anyway. That your condition is written correctly even seek outside advice to get it drawn up correctly to, to just to cover you as a buyer and take your time with it um, don't rush it get that condition spot on so that you're covered so it doesn't cost you thirty forty thousand dollars later on uh, when, you know once you've taken possession what we do on the buyer's side uh, at strategic is we make sure we have a building inspection clause with, which essentially stipulates that it needs to satisfy our buyer 100 percent. Mm-hmm. i don't care if there's yep. a plant out of place and look that can make it harder for us to purchase because it's quite a tough condition to meet mm-hmm. but when we are able to purchase with that condition it means that for any reason from the building inspection we can pull out within seven days and that gives us that real level of comfortability especially when we haven't when we're looking as an investor and we're having looked through every single nook and cranny to be comfortable that the investment we're making is going to be a sound one on the rental side. But it just does make it obviously a little harder to it makes it harder for negotiate the, on that. the seller's side and accepting a condition like that. However, definitely a good idea if you're a buyer. And in a market like this, where you know sellers will probably consider most offers that are put in front of them, can get away with with conditions like that. And it's, it's definitely a way to go if you're a buyer. What's the next one? Working order that warrants that all gas, plumbing, electrical fixtures and fittings in the property need to be in full working order. So what happens is about a week before settlement, after all your building inspections done, etc., we go into the property and we check that all gas, plumbing, electricals in, in full working order. Go and check all the power points, down lights, etc. If anything is not working, then the sellers will need to rectify that before settlement. Stoves, gas cooktops, yeah. a whole lot. All yep. that sort of stuff. Yep. All the shuttles. Correct. Last one. Timber pest inspection. So they need to get a registered pest inspector to go through the property, do a detailed report, make sure that there's no active termites or any active pests in the property. If there is, then the seller needs to obviously rectify that and spray that before uh, settlement. That's mm-hmm. the other one. That's the three major ones that we see. We've just been through one where there was clear evidence of termites in a very old pergola mm-hmm. out the back. Yep but nothing in the house. The pest inspector went off his own back to fix that up himself. He said, look, may as well just fix it myself while I'm here, which is a fantastic service. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, whenever you hear the word termite, people freak out. Yes. Usually, in my experience, if there is an issue like that, it's outside the property, the the buyers and the sellers, the seller will usually do the right thing and just just have it treated. I mean, it's a couple of hundred dollars to have it sprayed and treated, and I think it's it's the right thing to do, but they definitely don't have to do that Mm -hmm. and fall back on the buyer. What's some crazy stuff you've seen in this condition uh, box before? Sometimes we get buyers coming through saying they want the whole property repainted before settlement you know uh, mate, there's there's a hole you can ask anything can't you, you? Can't. one the other day the property didn't have a dishwasher and had halogen downlights and the buyer in the special conditions wanted a dishwasher to be installed and all halogen lights to be replaced to cool white downlights throughout the whole property yep but you know the house was seven or eight years old now is probably something you'd want to do yourself but they were adamant they wanted it in in the contract yeah the sellers weren't going to do it so well there we go it, right we went back and forth and yeah yeah very interesting. Let's turn the page. Yep. All right. This this one seems like a much more simple page to be dealing with. There's a lot of signatures. The one thing that I think we need to be making sure of is when we're ticking that box as a buyer, where it talks about the supply of the joint form of conditions. Mm-hmm. Too often I see on the buying side, this form, as standard as it is, and as copyable, uh, as, as duplicated as it is everywhere around Perth, not provided at that instance by the selling agent. 
It's something we need to make sure we're getting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see why every well every agent should have a road file with all their conditions and all their joint forms in there. So as soon as anybody's making an offer or ticking a box to say they've received something, they need to actually receive it. Yeah, you know, don't just don't just tick away and, like and it's a two hundred page document. There's it, only two pages exactly on this. Exactly right, and, and you know, it comes down to the buyers too to take their time and you know be comfortable with what they're signing and understand what they're signing. If you're signing to say you've received a document or something, well, make sure you receive that document. And it's very also common in strata situation where they need to be receiving a, a form 28, a form 29, the strata plan of the property. If the agent doesn't have that on hand, they're, you know, they're signing to purchase a property. They're not even really highlighting a lot that in particular they're purchasing. So they need to have all of that information in front of them. And it's, I've seen it a lot of times in strata situation as well where all the right documents haven't been provided either. Yeah, it needs to be followed up at a later date. Correct. Now, I've skipped over this last question for a reason because I think it's more of an ideological question about negotiation. Mm -hmm. That is, what do we think a standard finance and settlement date range is? And how can we balance those off into different markets? What do you think a buyer can push it to versus a seller? And how far is too far? How quickly can it possibly be done where the, the banks can't work that fast or the settlement agent can't work that fast? Standard timing, would, from my experience, would be 21 to 28 days for finance approval on acceptance of the offer. Because that's how long it takes the bank to work. It does. And, and look, usually at, at, you know, in, in this market, we're going 28 days because we are finding it's taking the banks a little bit longer. Uh, with a few new regulations or whatnot, it's taking longer to be processed. So 28 days, especially if they're a first home buyer. They're not a first home buyer, sometimes 21 days is fine. It depends on the buyer situation, obviously. Settlement date, again, 21 to 28 days. So the whole course, usually from acceptance of offer to settlement would be approximately two months. Is your standard conditions and standard time frame. That sounds about right to me. The only times where I see it possibly getting quicker, and this is very helpful in terms of your buying power, mm -hmm. if you're pre-approved, now, if you're pre-approved by your bank, it shouldn't take you 21 days. You could get it done in, in two weeks maximum. Yeah, depending on the buyer's pre-approval. You know, we have buyers coming to Home Opens all the time. We're pre-approved, we're ready to go. It's only going to take us two weeks to get finance. In fact, all they've done is jumped online and punched in some numbers and had a pre-approval. <laughs> they haven't even sat down with anybody. They haven't lodged tax returns, the whole lot. So depending on the type of pre-approval, yes, if they are fully pre-approved and ready to go, definitely can be done within two weeks for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, Adam, this has been a fantastic chat about the ONA. I really appreciate your time. Let's uh, let's have you in again for another topic Thanks, soon. Thanks, Trent. Always a pleasure. Okay, Suburb Spotlight time, and it is time to chat about Inglewood. What can I say about Inglewood? It's, it sits right in between Bedford and Mount Lawley. It's on Beaufort Street. Sometimes you drive straight past it, didn't even realize you went through it. <laughs> it's, it's a very quiet area, but has some really beautiful newer homes than Mount Lawley in many respects, but also a lot of character. You've got golf club there at Mount Lawley Golf Club, really should be Inglewood Golf Club. You've got the beautiful soccer pitches down there as well. And obviously access straight in between the Galleria, which is a fantastic facility, as we know, and Beaufort Street, which we all want to be pumping up as much as we can, given the commercial turmoil we seem to hear about all the time. Doesn't stop the food being good, though. We have number one agent in. She's been in before, so props to her for being number one in more than one suburb. It's Natalie Hoy from Belcourt. Thanks for coming in again. Appreciate your time. Cheers, Trent. Thanks for having me back. Hey, we spoke about Bedford recently. What is the difference? Give me a rundown of how you can compare Bedford yeah. to Inglewood for me, other than the price. Yeah, look, I think Inglewood's probably more like Mount Lawley than Bedford. It is closer to the city. It obviously is under the city of Stirling. It's a heritage protection area, the same as Mount Lawley. And on the whole, the houses are of a much earlier period than Bedford. For me, Inglewood's the suburb that you live in if you can't be bothered.
bothered or don't want to pay for the 60-50 postcode. Prices though, I guess you can find some properties in Inglewood that are more expensive than Mount Lawley, but you're probably always going to find much more expensive. You know, you can get three, $4 million houses in Mount Lawley. Can you do that in Inglewood? No. So yeah. I think the highest ever sale price in Inglewood is up around 1.8. So, um, and that was that was a few years ago. There are certainly owners who are sitting on property that owe them that much, um, but you almost never see that property come to market. So why do I want to live in Inglewood? Uh, I know you said it's the less expensive cousin of Mount Lawley in, in some points, but why wouldn't I choose a different product option in Mount Lawley or a really beautiful place in Bedford or Dinella or Maylands. What yeah. is it that brings people to Inglewood? I guess the thing is, well, for, for a start, you're going to save a couple of hundred thousand on your mortgage by being in Inglewood rather than Mount Lawley. And it has got access to the services that Bedford doesn't. So, you know, really sitting in the heart of Inglewood is that Beaufort Street precinct. And I know that Beaufort Street's been going through its challenges, but actually for Inglewood, that's not necessarily been the case. We've seen a lot more um, small independent retailers Hey, the night markets, they're amazing, aren't they? The night market is fantastic. And that's that's a community-driven initiative that's run by... Inglewood on Beaufort, which is a fantastic team of people that has brought in, a, you know, great, great people into the area. Monday nights, I mean, that was a bit inspired rather than doing the Friday or the Saturday, which is the sort of the more traditional route. Well, you're not got any competition. No, that's right. Yeah. And, and not only that, that pumps money back into the community. So the money that's made on the night markets is spent by Inglewood on Beaufort on community projects like art projects and seating and things to reactivate and revitalise the area. There's two really interesting things that are happening on Beaufort Street that I think are going to contribute to its development even further. So the first was the approval of the Aldi Shopping Centre. So that's going to be constructed on the corner of 10th Ave and Beaufort Street. And more what recently, was there? Um, it was an old IGA. Ah, so yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Cool. So the IGA has been bowled over and there's, there's going to be an Aldi. And where Bunnings burnt down, as much as we all really miss having a local I Bunnings. Do. <laughs> I know, it was fabulous. But anyway, Woolworths has been approved and that they're wow. coming in with one of their specialist market store concepts. So you're going to have a Woolworths, you've already got a Coles, I know. you're going to have Aldi. I know, we're going to be the shopping capital of the All the Walks Gorg has come through, doesn't it? <laughs> That's right. But you know what, the interesting thing about it is, and it might just be one cycle away, I guess, in, prop, in, the, in the market, but there's still on Beaufort Street in that Inglewood area, a bit of a dead zone in, in that commercial space where you think well, something happened here 15 years ago and it's just delinquent now. It's, what do you think needs to happen to really bring that, uh, extend that Beaufort Street vibe into the back end of uh, Inglewood? Well, it depends what you mean by the back end. So there, I guess that you've got the, the library, which is oft now referred to as like the town square and it kind of um, radiates out from that. So the closer you get to Central Avenue, um, that that has typically been a quieter area. That but area, you, yes. Yeah, but you've got a couple of really... So, well, one, the Woolies going into 8th Avenue, I think, is going to change that. But also you've got a couple of little independent businesses that have come into that as well. So Hoodburgers opened recently. That has queues. I mean, geez, if you go down Beaufort Street during the week, there are queues yeah. for the ha- for Hoodburger as a hamburger joint. You know, there's a little Thai that's popped up. Um, Chakra, which is a fine dining Indian restaurant, has just gone from strength to strength. There's little places that are popping up that are really sort of developing a following that are bringing pa- people back into the area. And, and obviously the night markets help with that as well. Well, 
I think a little bit more high density residential coming back into the strip, which is what is planned um, as part of the Beaufort Street Activity Corridor. It's slowly permeating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. So, I mean, they had a go. Uh, funnily enough, the the site that Audi is going to be building on, which and they bought that that site, that originally was going to be unit developments, but that didn't get off the ground. They didn't get enough enough pre sales. Probably had something to do with the fact that tyre power refused to move, and no one wants to. <laughs> Listen to tyres being changed from seven o'clock in the morning yep. from their apartment. Good point. But, and just yeah. the general market. I mean, <laughs> that's right. If someone can get a pre-sold development off the ground in yeah. Perth in the last three years, I take my hat yeah. off to them. Really, Niche has got one. I don't. It's supposedly due to start at the end of this year on the corner of Norman B and Beaufort Street. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Who's buying off you right now in Inglewood? Depends. Depends what it is. So I mean, the the, the bread and butter property, the the ones that the buyer really will come out for and flock to are renovated and extended character homes on full blocks predominantly in the avenues. If I can get a great one of those anywhere from the one ones to the maybe the low one threes, one twos seems to be the sweet spot, you know, I can get 30, 30 buyers on the first weekend and multiple wow. offers or something like that, even in even in this market. Then you've got, you know, other types of stock, but the buyer pool will be much smaller. So you've got You've got some like obviously some groups of seventies unit unit blocks and things like that in Inglewood. They're like any unit development at the moment. There's not a huge amount of demand for those, but you'll get singles looking to to move into the area that aren't quite at house level, wanting those kind of properties. And then you've got people that are either first home buyers or trading up from their unit into front character homes, the subdivided ones. And then Inglewood's got this interesting mix where you've got kind of the avenues, which has got the largest sort of 720 square metre blocks and up to Dundas Road, that's the Mount Lawley High School zone. And then on the other side of Dundas Road, heading more north as you're going towards the Bedford border, you've got smaller blocks. And this is a little bit on the western side, as uh, sorry, the eastern side of Beaufort Street as well, which they're more around that 560 square metre block. So not subdividable, but you can get some really lovely homes through there. Starting price point can be a little bit cheaper, but the good ones will still go into the one twos or higher as well. You mentioned something for me that popped up and that's yep. Mount Lawley High School. I guess yep. you get a lot of people who are looking looking to get their kids into there. Yes, we do. So it can be, and that's what makes the avenues a really popular location is that Mount Lawley, Mount Lawley High School uh, catchment. And Chisholm. Abs- yeah, but and, and I guess if, you, if you're sending your kids to Chisholm, which is an incredibly popular high school, which is one of the things that makes Bedford um, the really popular suburb that we spoke about last time, is that proximity to Chisholm. Once you get out of the Mount Lawley High School zone in Inglewood, you tend to find that the majority of families are sending their children to local private schools. So mm. that will be Chisholm, it will be Perth College, it will be Trinity, you know, or, or anything else around, you know, sometimes It's an easy Guildford, bus ride into the city. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That 950 is fabulous. I have never, ever looked in Inglewood for a development opportunity. Yeah. Am I misguided? Depends. Depends what you're looking for. So the the one thing to know about Inglewood is that it is a heritage protection area. If there is a house on the block that is built prior to 1960, which is pretty much all of them, <laughs> pretty much all yep. of them, <laughs> you know, you, you've got Buckley's chance and none of, of getting that demolished. So you're very much looking at retain and build in those scenarios. They don't come up a lot, uh, but they are there. If they're priced appropriately, they'll generally sell very quickly. Do you think that the more savvy option 
and I guess for the more savvy developer, the block sort of person would be to retain, build and do a really nice renovation at the front at the same time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because um, a beautifully renovated front character home can fetch some really good money. You can be into the nines, quite honestly, for, yeah. for a great, a really good, say, three by two character home. You're looking a couple for of some areas. tuck pointing and really nice cornicing and verandas and whatnot what yeah it's what that, makes it a good home in you England? want you want well one obviously you want a full height so if you if you're renovating that front character home you want ideally still to do a, a, a full height extension and not what I call the pimped sleep out you will get <laughs> you will get you will get much better money if you do a proper extension on it um, your buyers are going to be predominantly single professional or young couples probably not with kids and they're looking for a mix of of really sort of character charm but with contemporary design edge is is how so a sexy kitchen a sexy bathroom with polished floorboards high ceilings or you know that combination of polished floorboards at the front and polished concrete at the back yeah Mm. you know light bright lots of height but yeah yeah sexy kitchens and bathrooms definitely well certainly not for my skill set (laughs) but i think there will be a lot of people out there with an artistic flair yes who uh would be able to look at a challenge and and make the most of it. Yeah. On that development side, do you think that we're going to start seeing soon? Is there any murmurs in the council? Are they thinking about Inglewood? I mean, the city of Stirling's a big council. They've got a lot of other things to worry about on yeah. further to closer to the beach, in my opinion, when it comes to density. But are they ever talking about Inglewood and saying, well, look, let's increase the density along Beaufort no. Street? No. Yeah, Beaufort Street, absolutely. So they had the Beaufort Street Activity Corridor Plan, which has finally all been endorsed. So properties fronting onto Beaufort Street, absolutely yes, but off Beaufort Street, no. Mm. So if you're sitting in a character home next to the laneway behind a property fronting Beaufort Street, no, not a chance, which, you know, we can have all sorts of discussion about because it, it doesn't really allow for a transition and all of that mm. kind of stuff. There'd be a few nimbies anyway, in England, wouldn't there? Yeah. A few not oh, in my absolutely. backyard. Yeah, yeah. But, but all of that Beaufort Street stuff has now been pushed through. So it is what it is and it will be for the next few years. Yeah, so absolutely. play that game. That's right. Last question. How much am I paying as a median house price in Inglewood? So your median house price in Inglewood is around about 842000 So it's a couple of hundred grand more than Bedford, but it's about 150 less than Mount Lawley. Um, look, you've got it's, there's some interesting choices if you're around that price point. You could very much go for the original character home, unrenovated, on a development block in the avenues so that's you know there's there's real opportunities with that one we talked about particularly if you're looking to renovate that front character home and build build something new at the rear so that is a real opportunity the other opportunity is to look for just a a kind of a nice house on one of the full 560 square meter blocks in the area so that won't have subdivision potential but it's a it's a more affordable good quality family home entry point um, into Inglewood. I guess you're not sharing with anyone at that point, are you? No, that's right. So, And that's the thing is you're not going to have those overshadowing, overlooking issues from neighbours next door. No, that's, yeah. And that's often, that's really the benefit that I sell most of those on and seems to be what people are attracted to. Well, I tell you what, if someone said to you, look, we've got a 560 square metre lot, it hasn't been part of a subdivision. Uh, Not many people these days are saying that's a small lot. No, that's right. And especially with the park availability you have around Inglewood, driving down most streets, you'll end up at a park 
somewhere. That's right. Uh, especially at Hammer Park. So I think you can probably live that modern lifestyle in Inglewood where you don't have so much of a backyard yeah. that becomes a maintenance issue, but enough to have the little kids running around and then as they get older, send them off with their bikes down the road. Yeah, absolutely, Trent. One of the, it's an interesting trend that I've noticed. There's been a few properties that I've sold recently where families have got their older teens and sometimes even their tweens where they've got the full block, they've got the big four by two, they've got the pool in the backyard and they're saying, Nat, we're actually not really using we that never space. Use it. That's <laughs> right. So, and they're looking to downsize and you tend to think of downsizing as, as empty nesters but I'm finding that that's not now necessarily the case yeah well I, I think that just demonstrates the change in lifestyle we have those yeah. those tweens they're out on Beaufort Street having a hood burger absolutely right? they're yeah, definitely yeah. not having well, the friends over boys for a pool are. party yeah yeah you know? no <laughs> <laughs> they're up at the basketball court they're hanging around McCauley Park or you're right or they're at Coles yeah um, you know kind of getting their junk food fix or yeah up at, up at hood burger in fact the kebab shop mine love mine love the local kebab shop I cannot say no to a kebab absolutely <laughs> Nally, thanks for coming in again. I really appreciate it. Hey, keep us updated on Inglewood uh, and go and grab Mount Lawley too so we can have you in for that one as well. Oh, fantastic. I look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!